Welcome to Sky Women. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Moyers, a wife, mom, and board-certified OB-GYN. This is a place to educate, empower, and inspire. Join us each week as we share the power of women's stories. Real women, real stories, real inspiration. Put on your stretchy pants. Let's get going. Welcome to Sky Women Podcast. I'm so excited that you are back today. Thank you for joining us. We have a special guest with us today, Dr. Yana Barbalat. She is a board-certified urologist, and she completed her residency in general urology at Rutgers uh, Medical School, and then completed a fellowship in voiding dysfunction and female pelvic medicine at Columbia University. Since then, she's been practicing in Massachusetts, where she treats all urologic conditions with a special interest in voiding dysfunction recurrent UTIs, and overactive bladder. So here we have an expert. Welcome, Dr. Barbalat. Thank you. Thank you. I am delighted to have you. I feel like that the story that we have been told from generations before is that incontinence is just something that you deal with. Yeah. That this is normal. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, it's funny because I see so many women that come in and by the time they come in, they are like, you know, 70 years old, 75 years old, 80 years old, and they cannot leave their house. They can't visit their kids because they are embarrassed. They're going to, you know, pee in the bed or just pee when, you know, they get up off the chair from eating dinner and it becomes a lifestyle issue, but they've lived like this now for, you know, so many years. So it is, it's such a huge issue and people are really embarrassed and people typically think that they are, you know, the only ones out there that have this and like no one else has this problem. And I often actually have to come over to my patients and say, you know, before I leave the room, I come over, I get super close to them and I say, listen, you are not alone. I see this all the time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. I see, you know, at least a few patients with your issue every single day. Right, right. And I think that that's why it's so important that we're having this conversation, that women know that this is very common. Doesn't mean it's normal, but it's very common. One day I plan to ask why the urethra, (laughs) the female urethra is designed as it was. Right. (laughs) Because come on. Right there, right. (laughs) Total discrimination. I mean, what were we thinking with this design? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The pressure on the pelvic floor um, through childbearing years, particularly birth, birth trauma, like all of those different aspects can lead to significant incontinence. And oftentimes women think, oh, okay, maybe it'll get better. Maybe they'll try pelvic floor physical therapy. Maybe they'll do some biofeedback. And when it doesn't work, I mean, at what point, what delay do you think there is in patients actually getting to you? Yeah, no, I think the delay is huge. And it's, you know, and it's funny because I see, two types of patients. There's the younger patients that have stress incontinence. And a lot of them, when it's mild, they just live with it. So I have so many patients that come to me, they're now already older. They're now in their 50s and 60s. And and now they have this urgent incontinence where they can't, like their bladder has a mind of its own. So they come in and they say, oh, you know, I pee in my pants. I just can't make it to the bathroom. I get out of my car. I start to urinate. And then I say, well, what about when you cough and sneeze? What about that incontinence? And they say, oh yeah, I've had that for 30 years. Like that doesn't even matter. I know when that's coming, that's no big deal. So yeah, the lag time is like decades, you know, until it really starts controlling their life. And then maybe then they come in or they wear a diaper. Right. 
So do you find that some of these issues can be resolved with pelvic floor physical therapy? Some of it can be resolved with time? Or do you feel like if it's not addressed, then it typically just worsens? I think some of it can definitely worsen. But I do think there's a there is definitely a role for pelvic floor physical therapy for sure. And I kind of talk about that first step, the pelvic floor PT with most of my patients. Now, the problem is that pelvic floor PT is first of all, you know, time consuming. And second of all, you have to like Kegel exercises. You need to know how to do them properly. So a lot of people will say, oh, I do Kegels all the time, right? But do you really? (laughs) Do you really? Exactly. Like, yeah. And that's why a pelvic floor physical therapist is so key because they will help work with them and train their muscles to actually do that. Because I have had plenty of patients who are like, so I got your email and I understand what you're saying, but truly like, what is my pelvic floor exactly? Like, how do you engage those muscles? It's confusing. Like some people squeeze their butt cheeks. Some mm-hmm. people, you know, like, so people don't know which muscles to actually engage. So yeah, pelvic floor PT is really important. And it's so important in so much of urology, really, for both men and women, but, you know, particularly for incontinence. And it, and again, and it works for both types. It works for stress incontinence where you cough, sneeze, you leak. And then it also works for people that have that super strong urge. It mm-hmm. works for those patients as well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So we've thrown around a couple of terms. So let's back up. We're talking about urinary incontinence first. We've got a couple of other things we're going to talk about, but... When we're talking about urinary incontinence, we have a couple of different types, right? We have urge, stress, and mix. So break that down for us. Sure. So yeah, so there's stress incontinence, which is the one that we typically see in younger patients. We also see it in older patients, but by then they don't care about it anymore. So it is when you've had a baby and or a few babies, and now when you jump on the trampoline or you cough or you sneeze, you have to cross your legs, you have to squeeze really hard so that urine doesn't trickle out. And a lot of times that is, you know, you're not going to like full on pee when that happens. It's just dribbles. You know, when you run, you dribble, when you walk fast, you dribble. And it can be really bothersome to younger people that have little kids, right? Right. They need to stay active. You know, they need to be able to play with their kids and run around and they can't do that. Right. So they don't want to have to carry a diaper for themselves as well. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So Yeah. So that's stress incontinence. The urge incontinence is like when your mind has decided it's going to urinate and you want to stop yourself because you know that the bathroom is not around, but the bladder just empties. The bladder just like squeezes out and full on either pees or halfway pees, like you just fully pee. And a lot of the people that come in, they say, I was sitting in a chair and I was like, just calm. And as soon as I get up, I just pee, you know, and that's urge incontinence, you know, because their bladder just decides, okay, it's time to go. And it goes without that pause. And then there's mixed, you know, where people can have both. And there's a lot of mixed incontinence out there. And then there's also overflow, actually. Overflow is when you don't empty your bladder at all. You actually don't empty and you're almost like overflowing. You only urinate when your bladder actually just overflows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's really rare though. So that one, you know, we don't talk about it that much. Right, right. So talk us through then, what is um, the workup look like and what are our treatment options? So 
patients come in to see me, they tell me their story, and I already kind of have a sense of what's going on a little bit. But it's really important to make sure they aren't overflowing. So one of the things that a urologist does will be to check your bladder, like scan the bladder. So we have patients urinate, then they come back, and then I use a little ultrasound, and I see how much is left over in their bladder. And most of the time, the bladder is empty. But if I scan their bladder and there's a ton of urine in there, and they are telling me that they have incontinence, then that's the overflow. But that's ruled out. Like as soon as I know that their bladder is empty after the patient urinates, it's not overflow. And then I have people cough. You know, I examine women uh, with a full bladder. I have them cough and I see if they leak or not. If they leak immediately, that's stress incontinence. That's, you know, the one where you cough, sneeze, leak. If they don't leak, then it most, most likely is urgent continence, you know, where you have to run to the bathroom. But the urgent continence is a very classic story, basically where people, mm-hmm. the bladder just takes over your life. That's the workup. Sometimes we do more advanced things. Sometimes we look in people's bladders. Sometimes we do an ultrasound. Sometimes we do some special studies to check the actual, how the muscle actually works. It's called urodynamics. It's, you know, to see how the muscle actually contracts. But you, those, mm-hmm. all of those things are actually not necessary for treatment. The story and the physical exam and that bladder scan is the most important thing to get a patient on their way to getting better, on the way to treating the patient. Awesome. Awesome. So walk us through our treatment options because yeah. I'm sure everybody is wanting to know. Like, hey, all right, I know I have this. Now, now right. Better, right. Right. What do I do? So basically, it depends what you have. So if you have stress incontinence, that's really, there's really no medicines that I could give patients right now. So that's kind of the unfortunate thing. So we start with the Kegel exercises. And I tell my patients to do, you know, while they're getting in to see their physical therapist, Mm -hmm. telling them to do three sets of Kegels a day. So with every meal, so breakfast, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't know if you say the same thing. (laughs) We'll have our own little cheat. So before breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then I tell people to do 10 sets. So 30 a day, five seconds, squeeze, five second release. And I tell people that this is kind of like if I walked in on you while you were peeing, you would squeeze the muscles. Those are the muscles you have to squeeze. Right, right. Now, I always tell patients like that's a way to identify the muscles yes. that you need to use, but I don't want you doing that regularly when you're on the potty because I don't want you to train your bladder, right? To not fully empty. Yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Don't do it while you're peeing normally. So just do this if you have this issue. Yeah, so, so I tell them to do this while they're sitting down for a meal. And then if, you know, and that really, that needs to happen for six months to actually see an improvement. Mm, okay. So, so it's a long journey and you have to be patient if you want to sort of give this a real try. But the studies do show that pelvic floor PT, which is what this is, does help. It does right. help with stress, especially mild stress incontinence. So that's the first thing. And then as far as stress incontinence, there's basically two other things. One, there's sling. So you can surgically place a little piece of mesh that kind of holds helps your tissue be stronger. You know, that's the way you can think of it. So it helps that tissue be stronger. And so when you sneeze or cough, there's some support in the tissue and that works immediately. So it's kind of nice. 
It's about 85% effective, the slings that we have. They are the gold standard of care for stress incontinence. And so they, you know, they are effective and people see immediate results, which is good. Mm-hmm. And pretty low risk too. And so- and What's then the recovery like, for that? I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah, What's so the recovery? I do like, I do, I tell people, you know, no sexual activity for six weeks, kind of like, you know, after vaginal birth or any vaginal surgery. But, you know, I think most patients are sore in their thighs for about two weeks mm-hmm. and then they feel better. So, you know, I think you start feeling pretty back to normal after two, three weeks. Right. But in terms of like running and all those activities, getting on the trampoline, all the things that they're wanting to do to get back to life, you think six weeks? I think six weeks. Yeah. yeah. Just let everything heal up, you know, yeah. let that tissue scar. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And next treatment. So yeah. So and then the last treatment for stress incontinence are injections into the urethra. We call them bulking agents, and it's a simple thing to do. We basically inject this a whole variety of bulking agents out there. So we inject this material into the urethra to literally bulk it up. Now the problem with that is traditionally that that has not been so effective as the slings. So we tell people 50 to 60% efficacy. Mm. And so, you know, it's easy, it's quick, but it's not so effective. And it will, it can also lose efficacy as the time goes on. And how often would they have to do that? I've had like not so many patients that I've done this for, because again, it's more really for older, frail patients that are bothered by just stress incontinence itself. So the population is not huge. And so I've had to re-inject a lady like two years later because the efficacy was just no longer there. Right, right. So she's leaking again. But, and there were a few patients that I've done where, you know, where the treatment did last for a while. So yeah, that was good. And then there were a few people where it wasn't effective. So I would say, you know, my data is probably pretty similar. Now there are some newer agents on the market, Volcamide, which is sort of a promising a bulking agent with, I think, you know, higher efficacy. And that's just starting to really, women are just starting to, not women, physicians are just starting to use it on their female patients. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's stress incontinence. And then for urgent incontinence, there's also a lot of stuff. So again, pelvic floor PT will help. Kegels actually help. So a nice strong Kegel where we squeeze the sphincter will actually relax the bladder muscle. There's a reflex. Mm. Patients love hearing this. So I tell my patients if they really have a strong urge, they should just squeeze their urethra together really, really tight in their vagina. And then sometimes that will give them a few extra seconds to make it to the bathroom. So that's the first thing. And then there's medicines. We can give medicines to patients to treat urgent continence. They relax the bladder and they also make the bladder a little bit less sensitive to all the urine that's in there. And so the medicines are, you know, pretty helpful but they have side effects. And so, you know, the problem with medicines for overactive bladder is they can cause dry eyes, dry mouth, constipation. <laughs> right, right. It's like the ad you see on TV, where like <laughs> the laundry list of things that it can cause. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, exactly. And then sometimes they'll mention like death at the end. So no, not these, but you know, there is some data now that's coming out that people that have been on anticholinergics, we call these drugs, for a long time at high doses, 
can have an increased risk of dementia and just problems with cognition, with memory, with thinking straight and things like that. And that scares the patients and that scares me too, you know? Right, right. So what is your go-to then for urge So, you know, a lot of times I will now put patients on anticholinergics because that's what the insurance wants to cover first. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of Medicare patients can't pay for, you know, out of pocket $400 for a better drug. So I will still start them on those anticholinergics, but then I will try to switch them to the newer drugs that are out there. There's Mirbatrik, there's Begron, there's some newer drugs out there that basically help the bladder relax also through different pathways. And they don't, you know, they're not associated with all these side effects and they're much, much safer drugs. And so, so that's, that's all we got as far as drugs though. We have like the ones that cause a lot of issues and then two that don't cause a lot of issues, but are expensive. expensive. Right. Right. Okay. So what role do you think that vaginal estrogen plays in (laughs) all of this? Because I have been thinking about this a lot lately as I feel like that we treat with vaginal estrogen almost when it's too late, right? We wait until they're atrophied. We wait until women are having symptoms, those both, you know, vaginal symptoms in postmenopausal period before we start giving them vaginal estrogen. And I feel like that that has a lot to do with the issues that are going on, whether it's vaginal dryness, incontinence, painful intercourse, all the things. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, for sure. Vaginal estrogen is first of all, is really helpful. That's, you know, one thing I didn't mention for urge incontinence. It really is. It's another option for treatment. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it's too late. Like you said, sometimes it's just too late by the time we start using it. But I think, you know, I see women, I examine women all the time and, and most women over the age of, you know, 55 have very similar looking vulvas that have the signs of low estrogen. It's just, you can't escape it, right? It's like wrinkles on, or, you know, gray hair. Right. So, so I'm so, saying, why can't vaginal estrogen be like our Botox, right? right. Yep, <laughs> it is yep. the Botox for the vagina. <laughs> it should, you know, but it gets a really bad, you know, reputation. That's the problem. I have to re-educate every single woman that comes in and tell them that vaginal estrogen is safe, that, you know, you should be on it. You're getting a lot of UTIs or you have a lot of incontinence, yes. you know, and, or, you know, you can't have sex for multiple years now already. So for sure, I think women should be on, if that's what I think. I think women should be on vaginal estrogen really after menopause. And if they get any kind of symptom sign of vaginal dryness or, you know, incontinence or UTIs, that should be sort of first line therapy for all these patients, unless, you know, they have some contraindications and there are not a lot of contraindications. So, you know, right, right. I mean, I talked to a breast surgeon last week and she was like, no, vaginal estrogen, not systemically absorbed. Absolutely. They should not suffer (laughs) with vaginal dryness or painful intercourse. Give them the vaginal estrogen. You know, but there's so much misinformation out there too. You know, we're in Boston and I had a patient the other day who has a history of breast cancer and her oncologist or somebody told her, okay, you can be on vaginal estrogen, but it's okay to do three months on, three months off. And I'm like, where did that even come from? Like, why, you know? And then there was, and then she rechecked back and again, and they said, okay, fine. You can stay on it all the time. <laughs> it's just like, but that scares patients. You know, that gives patients a sense of like insecurity. Like who's telling you the truth? Who's not? Absolutely. Like, do we have the hard facts on this? <laughs> like, yeah. 
So I think there should be a much more of a push. And I think it's nice because, you know, physicians such as you, such as me, there's a lot of sort of young female physicians out there that are really making this their goal to like spread awareness about vaginal estrogen. And I think that's great. It's kind of like cigarette smoking. It's like smoking is bad. Vaginal estrogen is good. Vaginal estrogen is good. Yeah. Um, It makes me think of the commercial milk does the body good. (laughs) Vaginal estrogen. That's that they should be out there, these kind of commercials. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you have a special interest in recurrent UTIs, and this is something that a lot of women deal with. So talk us through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I see so many women with recurrent UTIs that I have just gotten really into it because, you know, a lot of sort of my protocols that I use for for patients, they work. And so once you see that something works, you're encouraged to treat it more and more, right? right? And so, yeah, so basically my goal is for women not to use so many antibiotics mm. because people are just using antibiotics for infections that they don't even have symptoms from. People are using antibiotics every day to prevent infections. And so there's just so much antibiotic use that my whole goal is like to get patients off of antibiotics. And so what do I do? When patients come see me, I, you know, I look through their cultures. If they're really having a lot of infections, I basically put them on two things, cranberry pills, and vaginal estrogen if they're postmenopausal. Now, if they're premenopausal and they don't need the vaginal estrogen, I just do cranberry pills. And I think that it's super, super effective. Like I would say it helps about 70% of my patients. I think cranberry, you have 36 milligram pack cranberry pill. I really do think a good quality cranberry pill helps you know, patients a lot. And then if you have a postmenopausal woman, well, now you have the estrogen playing a role. So cranberry is not always effective for those patients, although it still is for a pretty decent proportion. But then those patients, I really do think need that combo. They need the cranberry and they need the vaginal estrogen. Fluids too. But these days I feel like everybody's hydrating. So... (laughs) So, so it's like, at least they're telling us they are. They're telling us they are. Yeah. So these people are really trying to stay hydrated. The older ladies have a problem with that. You know, they get dehydrated, but the younger women, you know, for the most part, try to stay hydrated. So those are the three things. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And then we talked about prolapse. Mm -hmm. Prolapse is something that we see very common in women whether they're feeling a fullness in their pelvic floor, they actually feel something pushing out or they're having to splint when they void to fully empty. Like this is significant, particularly as we age. I've even seen it in like a G1P1, somebody who's only had one baby, just birthed one baby, six weeks postpartum. And she's like, why is my uterus hanging out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk us through that. Yeah, so I mean, prolapse is also really common. A lot of women have it and they don't even know that they have it because things are sort of hanging down, but they're still inside the vagina. Right. Then once, you know, your bladder, your, you know, rectum starts to prolapse through the vagina where it's now outside of the body, that's when people start to feel that kind of tampon hanging out, sort of feeling Mm -hmm. like the pressure and having problems emptying their bladders, getting frequent UTIs because they're not emptying. So yeah, so it's common. 
we can treat it with either just putting a pessary in, which it's funny because that is just such a simple treatment and it works and it holds everything up and people don't like, don't are scared of it and they, or they don't know about it or no, or no one has even offered this to them. And it's kind of sad because that's just easy and really harmless. And so I do a lot. I treat a lot of my patients with prolapse, just with pessaries. And then there are a bunch of different surgeries that you can do depending on, you know, what kind of prolapse you have, if the pessary just doesn't work. Unfortunately, I truly feel pelvic floor physical therapy is not that helpful. I feel like it's one of those situations that like have gone too far by the time that you actually get to a pelvic floor physical Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like by then that's it. But between surgery and pessaries, I do think that, that there are options available for women for sure. And I feel like that women kind of sit in two camps. Either they're totally fine with the pessary because they want to avoid surgery at all costs. And honestly, a lot of them love to come in and have us maintain it, right? Like they don't want to have to take it out. They don't want to have to clean it. I'll see you in a couple of months. (laughs) Right. Or the other arm is like, they absolutely know that they want to have surgery. There is no way they're going to live with a pessary in their vagina, like particularly in the younger population who want to continue to be sexually active and find that very appalling. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, for sure. So, you know, and it's, it's interesting because there's some women that I've met that I told them about and they're like, oh my God, I've never even like looked in my vagina. I've never put anything in there. Like this is the first time ever. And I'm now like 75 years old. So (laughs) yeah, it's kind of funny, but, but yeah, there are, there's a lot of people that just don't want it. There's also, again, also miseducation on that. Like I have patients that come in that say, if you put a pessary in, I'm going to get a UTI and they are just completely against it. And so there's people like that too. And, and that's again, from somebody telling them that that's going to happen. But, you know, but I, I'm a big fan of pessaries and there's so many different types. Like there's a lot to choose from. It's like trying on shoes. It totally is. I feel like those are really long visits. And that may be why I refer more to a urologist these days, because they're going to come in, they're going to get fitted, but I'm going to have them walk around, sit down, get up on the table, empty their bladder, make sure it's a good fit. Cause if it pops out in the potty, then we are not in the right place. That's right. Yeah. We're going to try a different model. That's right. We got to try a different model. We have to order it. Sometimes we don't have the right size. Yeah, it's actually, it's, it is. It's a lot of uh, work, but it, it is really satisfying if you do find the right size and it like works and women have it, use it for a decade. You know, it's like. Right, right. And they have avoided undergoing surgery and right. it, it works. It solves their issue. Yeah, love that. Okay. So also we didn't mention that a pessary sometimes can be used for stress incontinence. Do you ever do that or that's not a preference? You know what? I've used it before, but I find that it's not so effective. Like there are pessaries that are like specifically designed for that, but I just, the one thing that I do like for stress incontinence is the, those Impressa poise little inserts, and they kind of look like tampons. You know, they go in the vagina and they are good for mild stress incontinence and you can keep it in there for up to like eight hours. So if you're going out or something like that, I tell my patients and they have a little bit of stress incontinence, that's definitely an option. And that comes with a little sizing kit. So first you get like, you figure out which size you need and then you buy some of that size. And so I like that a lot more as like a vaginal insert for um, stress incontinence. Okay, versus a pessary. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, this is such good information. It's so helpful for patients. One, to know that they're not alone, that this is something common and that there are solutions and the workup is pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of, there's definitely a lot of options for all of these types of issues. So women just need to be aware that like, that they're not the only ones and they shouldn't be embarrassed and you have to be an advocate, you know, for your body. Yes. Getting yourself better. Yes. And if your provider, your doctor tells you that, oh, it's normal, that's just age, then you probably need to find a new doctor. That's where you go and advocate for yourself, right? And you say, well, I'm going to see a urologist who specializes in female pelvic floor dysfunction or whomever, you know, and maybe another OB-GYN if depending on what area, because not all communities have urologists. That's true. Yeah. No, for sure. And I but you know what? The people that are listening to your podcast, they already did step one where they're educating themselves so now that they can go and find somebody who actually can help them. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Education is power, right? Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This is delightful. And now patients know that they don't have to be embarrassed, that they're not alone, and they don't have to walk around peeing on themselves that grandma was wrong. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's true. Thank you for having me. It yeah. Was, it was a fun Absolutely. So tell everyone where they can find you. So I have, well, I'm in Massachusetts, but if you can't get to Massachusetts, you can get some information. I have an Instagram account. It's at, it's Dr. Yana Barbalat, D-R-Y-A-N-A-B-A-R-B-A-L-A-T. So Yana Barbalat. And yeah, I post about all kinds of stuff there, all kinds of urology things, female urology things, incontinence, UTIs, erectile dysfunction, all sorts of stuff. And so, yeah, would love to see you guys there. Fantastic. So everyone do me a favor and go follow Dr. Barbara Lutz. And thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, Sky community. Thank you for listening to another episode. This episode was sponsored by Sky Women's Health. As a reminder, we're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and we help relieve back pain and pelvic pain in pregnancy and beyond. If you are pregnant and having pain and you feel like you have no reliable way to relieve it, look us up at skywomenshealth.com, request an appointment, and we'll call to get you scheduled. As a board-certified OB-GYN with a Neuromusculoskeletal Medicine Fellowship, I help you realign with hands-on drug-free treatment and relieve pain on the spot without medication. We'll help you maintain these results through your pregnancy and postpartum period. Every pregnant person deserves this, and we are so excited to serve you. You can find us on our website, as mentioned, or on social at Sky Women's Health, or you can call the office at 817-915-9803. That's it for today. Until next week, be well.